0: Uh, I'm going to offer a quick word of prayer for Gordy. Um, We all know he needs it. Thank you. Thank you for laughing at that terrible, terrible joke. It's just so true. I mean, oh, Lord, help us. Help us to honor and love each other in the way that we speak. Help us to hear your words as Gordy shares from his heart. I pray that you would you would just make this time a real a real moment of connecting with you. Because that's what we want. Like we're we're not super interested in what Gordy has to say. We want to connect with you through your word. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Peter. Good morning. And I love you, even if you don't care about anything I have to say. Yeah. Um, So this is, uh, I'm going to need the right PowerPoint show, my friends back there. Uh, We're continuing a series in uh, Genesis uh, called Foundations in Genesis. So if you're just joining us, we started at the beginning of the new year, uh, right at the beginning of the Bible. And uh, we're calling it Foundations because it's. Uh, a book about beginnings, the beginnings of a story, an incredible story, and we've talked about how that it really sucks when you go to a movie and you miss the beginning part, and and you feel like you want your money back or something, and sometimes actually we've, that's happened to us when they sent us to the wrong theater, but usually that's not their fault, um, and uh, and, 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 and everything is disjointed in the story, if, if, if you don't get that beginning part. But this isn't just any story. It's your story. And it's my story. It's our story. And so it's really essential that we get this beginning part right. And um, we've talked so far about the fact that the Creator went to incredible lengths to create the heavens and the earth. He made modeling clay. And then out of that modeling clay, he made the earth, the sea, and the skies. And Genesis 1 is an artistic and poetic description. It's not meant to be in chronological order. It's not meant to be literally uh, six days, although some of you can believe that if you want. You don't need to uh, start a new church over it. it. What matters is God did it. God made it. And however long he took or however he did it doesn't really matter. If you want a monkey to be your uncle, then that's great. <laughs> you know? I had a guy in our youth group in Calgary. He he wrote this song, Please don't blame the monkeys. It's not their fault we're this way. His name is Gordy Gibosh. No, actually, he was his duet partner. Anyway, um, so, so whatever you believe, God did it. God made it. However we got here, we know that It was, he had you in his heart before the foundation of the world. You were in his plans. And he was so excited and so delighted. He was just the anticipation that he had for your arrival. Do you know how God's heart just burst for your arrival? Do you know how much he anticipated? Billions of years ago. Do you know that there's never been a time in all of eternity... That He hasn't been thinking about you. Does that blow your... a few fuses? There's never been a time... in all of eternity... that God hasn't been thinking about you. He did, you weren't an afterthought. You weren't a... whoops! You weren't that. He planned you. And designed the whole universe... for you and me the crown of his creation. And we talked about how that after God had made all the animals and the plants and matter, that there was this pregnant pause in the universe. And the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit called a meeting. And they said, let us make humanity in our image and in our likeness, that they may rule. And so God created humanity in His image, male and female in His image. In the image of the social trinity, we are at the ground of our being relational people. We are relational beings. We are not a uh, uh, created in the image of an individual being, but a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we talked about how that at the beginning we were this incredible community that was naked and unashamed. There was, there was no need to hide, no need to fear, no need to put on airs or to be somebody that we're not. We could be ourselves, loved, accepted, as Lynn sang this morning, in the presence of God and one another. No need to hide. And we could collaborate and work together and co-creating with God because God didn't stop when he made creation even though he rested for a bit on the seventh day he hasn't stopped he's continuing to create but now he wants to do it in partnership with us his representatives in creation but then we chose to believe the lie that God isn't good And doubt came in. Broken trust came. And as a result of broken trust, broken community, broken relationship with God, with one another, between the sexes, between the races, between the classes, between us and creation. Creation started protesting the lack of love. Because creation was made for love. And when there isn't love, creation protests. The ocean goes funny. The weather goes funny. The ground goes weird. There is a broken relationship between us and creation. But in spite of the mess, the Creator refused to give up on creation and has since been on this relentless mission to restore all that was lost. But He has chosen not to do it without you and me. He has taken this incredible risk to to partner with us messed up people to clean up the mess, which is an incredible risk, which means we screw it up over and over and over again, but he doesn't stop. He's relentless. There's something about that word relentless that I love. There should be a band called that or a church or a new denomination. I'm not sure. And that's the risk that he chose to take. And so, even last week, with, with we, we learned that there was, you know, there's kind of this pattern of genealogies in, in Genesis where you have what you think are the good guys, you know, the sons of Seth, and then the bad guys, the sons of, of Cain. But then you realize as you take a look, closer look that those good and bad guy lines are really blurred. And like Solzhenitsyn, we discover that the line between good and evil is not between east and west, but right down the middle of our hearts, right? And, and so, even though the good guys are supposed to be Seth, they mess up and they still need God's grace, and they call on the name of the Lord, and that's the only difference between the good guys and the bad guys, is the, the, the good guys know they're bad, and they need help. And they call on God's grace, that's the only difference. In fact, even the story of Noah, he was supposed to be a good guy, we heard that, did, did you read how his story ends? He's drunk as a skunk in the tent. Plastered. He found out that pastors could drink and he didn't realize his limits. So Andrew Murray, I love Andrew Murray, good good old South American guy, writes a lot on prayer and he said this, the sum of all God's dealings with us is to get us to trust him again. Think about that. And you look at how he dealt with Israel in the Old Testament, and then with the church in the New Testament, and the coming of Jesus. The sum of God's dealings is to get us to trust him again. The sum of God's dealings with you is to get you to trust him again. I heard a great quote this week, and I have to interrupt my sermon with this quote. The opposite of faith is what? Anybody else? Doubt. Doubt. Anybody else? Unbelief? How about this? Now, I think, I think you're all right. I think you're all, there's truth in, in what you've all said. But this, I'm still trying to get my head around this. The opposite of faith is certainty. Think about think that. Because if you're certain, you don't need faith. Faith requires risk. Faith requires mystery, right? Think about that. Interesting. So the sum of God's dealings with you is to get him to trust, you, trust him again. And there's something about relationship that requires faith and mystery when we have to climb this mountain with our hands wide open and we don't know what we've got there's nothing we can hold on to. I, what a beautiful metaphor of faith, that song. Because the 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 natural instinct for climbing mountains is the three-point rule, right? One, two, three. One, two, three. That's what good old BC boys taught me, a poor Alberta boy, when I first moved here twenty-five years ago. You don't climb mountains like you walk the prairie boy. You got to have a three-point landing, right? That saved me a few cliffs. Now, when we fell, we lost community—that naked and ashamed reality of comu- and unashamed reality in the, in community. But there still is this longing and cry for community. So today, in the Tower of Babel, I want to talk about the human quest for community that we still have, but now that we are trying to do it without God, we end up what I call organizational narcissism. 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 Organizational narcissism. Narcissism is, of course, self-absorption, in it for ourselves, uh, self-focused, self-conscious. It's like looking in the mirror. Remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about the the significance of the invention of the mirror in 1500, how that just shaped our our culture. We've become incredibly narcissistic since that time in Western culture. And our whole value and opinion of ourselves is through the eyes of others. And this happened in the fall, of course. But this happens not only to us as individuals, but it happens to us in, in communities. I've been... I've shared a little bit about this TV series that Kathleen and I have been watching. It's available on Netflix, and you can get it at Black Dog, if you're old school like me. And it's the story of this kind of uh, very honest, methodical, but relentless DCS. You know that term, Lynn? We don't know it over here. It means Detective Chief Superintendent, right? And he's in the south of England in uh, Hastings which I liked, and um, he's, he, he it's in the middle of the Second World War, so England is getting bombed every second day, you know, there's all this, and here's this kind of simple little DCS walking around solving murders. Usually somebody dies in every show, and he has to solve a crime. So it just, it's like this really strange backdrop where the... There's a, there's a murder, there's a crime scene, but this, then this, this war that's involving un, unspeakable horror going on in the backdrop. And, and as he's investigating murders, England is at war, of course, with Germany, led by Hitler and the Nazi party, and often Foil's pursuit of justice uh, pits him against high-ranking military and political leaders in England and even, the, in even America, who were based in, in, uh, in Britain at the time. And what it does is it blurs these lines between good and evil again. As you realize that the, this war is going on, and the people that are supposed to be the good guys, in the name of the cause, act in some very criminal ways. And so this is kind of the plot, and then the show continues into post-war England, which I, I, I had not appreciated until I watched the show. And by the way, it's really done with careful historical analysis. Um, I had not realized that post-World War England was so hard. It was so hard that they almost preferred the war again, like in terms of how difficult it was. Just rations and uh, no health care. And, and the infrastructure, of course, had been destroyed by the bombing. And, uh, and, of course, this influx of refugees, right? And why the heck should we have refugees? we got to take care of our own. All the same arguments you hear today. That's why I love this show. It's just like, change the name, change the race of the people. Back then it was the Jews. Like, you think anti-Semitism was big in Germany? It was happening in the UK as well. And in addition to uh, this war that was going on, the hatred of the German as a people was entrenched in England by the end of the war. Eric McTaxis writes that at the beginning of the war, the English distinguished between the Germans and the Nazis. It was two different things. But as the war dragged on, as fathers died, brothers died, sons died, the line disappeared between the nazis and the germans and winston churchill as part of the, to rally the war effort fused the germans and the nazis into a single hated enemy so when germans who were resisting hitler in germany contacted the british contacted churchill offering to topple hitler from the inside such as valkyrie and you know some of the names we know they were rebuffed because for the purpose of the war effort, Churchill maintained the fiction that there were no good Germans. And this, this quote just floors me: "The lack of nuance was part of the hellishness of the war." I want to say that again. That's a powerful quote. "The lack of nuance was part of the hellishness of the war." Lack of nuance. You know what lack of nuance is? It's when we categorize people, making assumptions about them based on ignorance and fear. We choose to see them all as a threat. We lump them all together and we label them based on skin, color, language, religion. So remarkably, there was this funeral that was held in German, or or held for a German in Holy Trinity, Brompton, London. It was a a well-publicized and the British public could not comprehend why in the world they would have a funeral for a German. He wasn't even in England, he was in Germany, he had died just before the war ended. Does anybody know who that German was? Yeah. They couldn't understand why they would have a funeral for a German. But Bonhoeffer's legacy as a German uh, was he saw through the smoke screens of Nazi ideology. Can you imagine being in the Nazi party? You get up, you go to work every day. You know, you're good to your boss. You work hard. You make sure you do your job well. You treat your coworkers well. You, you, you finish your jobs. You're just a really good person. But you are part of a, of a, of a, of a society and a system that has become evil just like you would have been maybe a good teacher in the residential school, right? Same thing. And so this can happen to any organization, my friends. This is is the warning of Babel today, is that it can happen to a nation like Germany, it can happen to a country like Canada or the U.S., because on fear and misunderstanding and and propaganda, we can start getting into this kind of... uh, uh, organizational narcissism, it can happen to churches, it can happen to home groups, it can happen to families and denominations, it can happen to political parties and regions of our country. It can happen. Organizational narcissism. And so the first clear example of organizational narcissism happens at Babel. So let's look at the text together. Now the whole la- world had one language. It was English, of course. And, talk about organizational narcissism, huh? Okay. And a common speech. And as people moved eastward, in the Hebrew there is a little bit murky. We're not sure if they moved from the east or towards the east or in the east. But it had something to do with the east. They found a plain in Shinar, which is modern-day Babylon, where there's a connection between Babylon and Babel, which would be probably modern-day Iraq, towards the the Persian Gulf, kind of in that area. Kind of they see that as the cradle of civilization. Remember Saddam Hussein used to really, you know, milk that that fact, where where, where it all started. And he was right. They found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us. I'm going to stop there for a second. Does that ring a bell, that phrase, come, let us, let us? Where did we hear that before? Genesis 1. 1. God said, let us. So we see humanity functioning in God's image, collaborating, cooperating, working together in community, Is it a real community or is it pseudo? Well, we'll look at that. But they go on to say, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Uh, They say in the early history of humanity that humans had a belief that the law of gravity, that we what we they didn't understand it is the law of gravity. Of course, Newton didn't come along until quite a bit later. But when things fell to the earth, they began to assume that the gods were trying to keep us in our place. And it was the gods pushing us down. And so there was this sense of resistance to being kept in our place. And so the tendency to bring towers and to build towers and to get up, you know, to, to get high. And, um, um, and hence this, this tower. They were called ziggurats. And they were structures that were designed, and there's a lot of them architecturally, in the, in the, archaeologically in the Middle East, that were designed to link heaven and earth. That was the point. And so there was this sense in humans that we are we're in the image of God. Why, why, again, it goes back to the garden. Why, why, are, why are you trying to keep us? What are you keeping from us? And it it maybe wasn't so much rebellion, although there probably was some of that uh, rebellion against the creator, but it was more independence from the creator. We can do this ourselves. You leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. Just let us live our lives. We can do this. So come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord, or Yahweh, when you see those capital letters, that's the Hebrew Yahweh, came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And Yahweh said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, now there... Here it is again. Come, let us go. And confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Now what's so wrong about nothing being impossible? You know, American dream, Canadian dream. Whatever you think you can do, you, let's do it. Right? Sky's the limit. What's wrong with that kind of thinking? It's kind of subtle. It's hard to see. But it seems that God was concerned where this was going to end up. It was not His intention. In terms of where they were going. There was a centralizing going on. There was a uniformity going on. There was a empire building going on. That was contrary to the the spirit in the heart of the kingdom of God. So the Lord scattered them from over the face of the earth. And they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel. Babel, literally in Hebrew, is confusion. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. So what we have here is a couple of things I want to point out that, that led to this. Human beings after the fall still had the same needs as they had before the fall that had been provided by God, that was all available for them in the garden. And I, I showed you a few weeks ago Mas, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. And, and we have here uh, our most basic needs of food and shelter. And then there's safety and the need for love and belonging and esteem. And then purpose. What's, what, why am I here? We have all of those needs. And, and so Babel was an expression of humanity trying to meet those needs Apart from God. So there was, first of all, a sense of fear. You can sense that in the passage, that that they're, they're afraid of being scattered. There's a sense of fear and hostility, that the, the universe is not friendly, and the gods are not friendly. So let's bundle together, let's clump together, let's circle the wagons, as it were, against all those bad outsiders. Now I'm... I'm giving you, by the way, as I share this, the pattern towards uh, organizational narcissism. So first of all, there's, a, there's a, f- a fixation on survival. It's a fixation on making sure our phys- physiological safety, food needs are met. So we clump together for survival and circle our wagons and keep the bad guys out. We've got to keep the bad guys out, keep the good guys in, keep the bad guys out. There's that Spirit about organizational dystopia as well. It's a sense of us and them that that's created through fear. Richard Rohr says the root of all violence is fear. Fear causes violence. It starts in the mind, violent thinking, you know, how you see people that are different than yourself. Then it comes to the mouth, the tongue, what you say, what you write on Facebook. You know, those kind of things. And then it comes out in actions, in, in actual physical violence. Just like we saw in the Second World War. And then um, it, there's a, an idolatrous, let us make a name for ourselves. We're the vineyard. Let's make a name for ourselves. We're a Canadian. Eh? We, let's make a name for ourselves. Our church is really cool. You guys suck. Right? It's, it's that sense of comparison and competition and us and them, and we're better than you, right? That I think there's a healthy pride. I think there's a healthy love for your church and your family and your ethnicity. But we all know that when that line is crossed, don't we? We all know when it starts to be at the expense of loving others, embracing others, right? Celebrating others. So I'm not saying, don't, you know, don't walk around saying, oh, my church sucks and yours is better than mine. Don't do that. Uh, you can say that about your pastor, but don't say it about the church. And, um, <laughs> oh, you look like you're in pain, Christine. I'm sorry. <laughs> I won't do that. Sorry. Um, so, so, you know, like when you're in Korea, okay, just a warning. When you go to Korea, you don't wave at people like this. You don't say, come here. Don't do that. Right? Am I right? You don't do that. And when you're in Switzerland, you know, in Canada, this means this is great. It's not great in Switzerland. You don't do that. Um, you know, there's parts of the world where people, they eat with their hands, and Westerners go and watch them eat with their hands, and they go, how can you be so gross? And the, West, and the, and the people in these tribal countries are eating with their hands. And they're looking at the Westerners, going, "How can they be so gross?" That fork has been in the mouth of five hundred people, <laughs> right? So this is this is what we're dealing with with uh, cultural differences. Uh, in in if you're in um, Japan, you know, um, don't make eye contact on the train, right? So so whereas in some places, if you don't make eye contact, you're rude, right? To strangers. And so it's, 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 it, that's part of what happened with Babel. And doing the hard work of... And, and boy, when I went to England, I'm terrified. I, I found out, like the first thing I did when I went to England is I did this preaching tour. Bad decision. Because I was on the platform giving them all my Canadianisms. And I found out when I went to live in England how many times I had said a vulgar word uh, from the platform, wasn't vulgar here, you know. Babel. So, so, unity and uniformity. This is the this is probably the last thing that happens. Is that when you have uh, organizational narcissism, what happens is is that instead of healthy diversity in community, you have uniformity, uh, where you all kind of toe the party line. And so, um, Babel was actually an act of God's mercy. I believe that anytime God acts in judgment, it's an expression of his mercy. C.S. Lewis is really good on that when he talks about hell. That, that hell is just... Hell, you know, earth is... We pray, Lord, your, your will be done, your kingdom come. Hell is where God says, your will be done, your kingdom come. Just lets you... He respects our authority. He respects our autonomy as human beings, the right to do what we want. He will not conflict with that. Hell is locked. The door to hell is locked on the inside. So I believe that God's, even his most severe judgment is always an act of his love and mercy and intervention. And we see this again with Babel, where the Lord intervenes. And um, I love... The the late Ralph Winter, who founded the U.S. Center for World Missions, said this. It was like the world was united in rebellion against a broken-hearted God who had just wanted his kids back. Blinded by their ambition and false unity, he broke in by creating many different nations, tongues, peoples, and cultures so that we would learn that true human community is impossible without grace, without God. Without his presence, he never intended us to do this. And so then he did this, and I know I'm getting ahead of the story, as Peter shared earlier, but God said this. uh, After he had divided all the nations, it was like all of these different languages and cultures and peoples and nations, I think there's something like 11,000 languages, is that correct, in the world today? Something like that. And we're getting close to having a Bible in almost every language. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. But why did God make it so hard? Why did he make missions so hard? Why, why do we have to learn languages and learn how to enjoy different kinds of food and leave our country like this is the first missionary? The Lord said to Abram, by the way, after the flood, there was a, a genealogy like Seth and like um, Cain that followed. There was Shem, the son of Noah, through which Abraham came. And then there was Ham, through which a guy, a dude named Nimrod came. He says he was a mighty hunter in the earth. And many people believe he was the one who actually led the Babylon project. And that Abraham actually confronted Nimrod. That they actually confronted him. He prophetically confronted him and said, this is not God's way. That's Jewish Midrash. We don't know that for sure from scripture. But that's kind of the tradition that's been passed down. So finally, God says to Abraham, you need to leave this place. Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. Now think about this. Now there's hundreds and maybe thousands of cultures on earth, thousands of languages. How many Jews were there then? How many Jews were there? There's no one. There was no Jews. There was no Jews. First Jew is here. And how did he become a Jew? The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Isn't that similar to Babylon here? But who's doing it? God's doing it. Not Abraham. God's given him the great name. I will, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Winter says that what God did is he divided the nations. And, and it was like he said, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call a representative nation. I'm going to get a beachhead nation called Israel, which means the people of God, those who wrestle with God, those who struggle with God in their faith. Faith was never meant to be this sweet saccharine, kind of everything's nice, the world's beautiful, and life sucks, but God's still good, and, and I don't have any doubt. Doubt and is part of faith. It's a struggle. It's those who wrestle with God. But they do it with God, not without Him. They can even say to God, I don't believe in you. And that's okay. Because that's part of the journey. But they say it to him. They talk to him. They're like Psalm 88. The psalm is black from beginning to end. You ever read Psalm 88? It was my psalm during my two years of nervous breakdown where I thought I'd committed the unpardonable sin. It starts dark. It starts black. It starts negative. And at the end of the psalm, he ends with this phrase, darkness is my closest friend. End. End but he's talking to God. He's talking to God. Right? That's what the people of God are. They're God called the people. And so, God wanted to, to win the world back piecemeal. One nation at a time. I will make you a blessing to all the nations of the world. Israel was called to be a missionary nation. To bless all the nations of the world. To demonstrate God's love and nation and you, to all the nations. And you see that through the prophets. You see, see that through promise after promise, but they forgot what their mandate was. They got focused on the top line of the covenant. We call it the top line, I will make you in a great nation. And they got into how great they are and how blessed they are and how great their name is. And they forgot about the bottom line. And you will be a blessing. And all peoples will be blessed through you. And they kept building Babel. Babel happened in Israel. We're great. Let's let's conserve our losses. Let's circle our wagons. So finally God had enough and he scattered them. All over the face of the earth. Then God started a new Israel through Jesus. Jesus came. The ultimate Israeli. The ultimate Jew. He lived, he lived the life of of the of Israel that God had intended for Israel as his servant to be, and he came and he died on the cross and he and he was raised again the third day, and then he commissioned his disciples and he said You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Go to the nations. It was Acts 1.8. He said that. Then God waited and waited and waited. He waited about a decade and they're still hanging out in Jerusalem. Another Babel. It's all about us. Really? We want to be blessed. Are you blessed, brother? They're saying to one another, are you blessed? We're blessed. Hallelujah. I got my new Rolls Royce Porsche chariot buggy. Hallelujah. We're blessed. There's nothing wrong with being blessed, but why are we blessed? We're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to show God's heart to those that are not us, other than us, that he loves them too. He loves their kids that it's blasphemous for me to be praying for a parking lot while mothers watch their kids die in Darfur. He cares about them too. So God waited. Acts 1.8, You will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. What happened in Acts 8, verse 1? A great persecution broke out against the church... And they were scattered everywhere. And verse 2, I love verse 2, it says this, and those who were scattered everywhere went everywhere preaching the word. How about that? I remember Joe Calder once saying, if you don't Acts 1 8, God will Acts 8 1 ya. (laughs) If you don't Acts 8 1 8, God will Acts 8 1 ya. That's a good one. So, I just speaking of the Calders. Oh my gosh, what an what a timely ending for my sermon. I saw this cartoon that Charmaine posted. So you see a, a Syrian refugee family with a big knife behind, with the Islamic State, whether it's ISIS or ISIL, and then of course the big hand is the nations. That's set of stars as the nations. And um, Charmaine, of course, was the co-founder of our church with Joe, her husband Joe. They're now pastors of the Alder Grove Vineyard. And today, for the first time after the arrival at the airport yesterday, they are hosting a Syrian refugee family in their church in Alder Grove, the Alder Grove Vineyard. (laughs) And I'm going to just read a couple of excerpts. Her little journey was so cute. I just wept as I read her posts. And, and Charmaine is just... It, it, her, her name could be Integrity. I mean, I, I, don't, I have, don't think I've ever met anybody who's so true to their word and blue. I mean, in, in and out, her name is Integrity. But with a heart. Integrity with an incredible heart. And... Um, She's writing a little prayer that we saw in our prayer blog. It says, she's conversing with God, and God speaks to her, and he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? I give strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. It is I who bring your sons and daughters from afar to you. Yes, to you, to know and to love the way that I know and I love them. The wealth of the nations are coming to your land, to you. Hamada, Kafia, Hazem, Hatem, and Muhammad, and so many others like them are the treasures that I am bringing to your land. And then Charmaine responds, Oh, can we really do this, Father? You know us. You know how often we fall short of loving the way you do. We are so easily distracted from the things close to your heart. There's so much darkness in our world and they are coming from such a place of thick darkness and brokenness. And the Father says, shh, listen to my spirit. My people in Canada, arise, shine. And I believe Charmaine is a prophet. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The Lord rises upon you and my glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light. Lift up your eyes and look about you. To you, you, the riches of the nations are coming. To you, Aldergrove Vineyard and friends, Hamada, Kafia, Hazem, Hatam and Muhammad are coming. My treasures, I'm entrusting them to you. Charmaine wrote, when morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. We sing welcome and love soon now. So I want to just read a couple of posts. This, she started posting in February the 6th because they've been preparing for quite a while for this family of five to come, two adult, two mom and dad and two kid, or three kids. So she wrote her post on February the 6th, mostly what's on my mind is preparing, along with our team, for our sponsored Syrian refugee family to come to Canada. Last few ducks needing to line up so we can sign documents and then receive our family Meanwhile, today is the start of training for my end of May half marathon race. I'm running for water. 7Ks today and ramping it up next week. She's in her, what, mid to late 60s. Okay, now, this gets really cute. I want you to help me with your imagination and enter into the, the anticipation that they're feeling. Remember what I said at the beginning about God's anticipation for you? About you coming? I want you to feel this. This is Thursday. So she has a little hashtag, standing in swirl of getting ready (laughs) to receive our Syrian refugee family tomorrow at YVR. Or Sorry, this is Friday. Joining so many others in Canada who step in hashtag we welcome strangers. Yesterday later, she said, every 24 hours, exactly 24 hours uh, minus... Four minutes, ARC 195, 19th of February, YUL, YVR, 1750, 2032, will arrive. Apart from possibility of headwinds, can't discount the headwinds. I shouldn't really be posting like this, though. Some folk in our group are getting quite excited, and they need sober, careful, unexcitable people like me (laughs) to help keep good shep. Good ship, A-R-C, on an even, even keel. Oops, a typo, Above, Change A-R-C to A-C, Air Canada. Ha-ha, just a finger slip. See, some of you tomorrow night, Twenty-three forty minutes from now, unless you're early, you never know. Some of us might be a bit early. And then, a little bit later, this was, this was yesterday, the day of the arrival, Saturday morning. Hmm, what's on my mind? Hmm. Another February weekend, cold drizzle, typical lower mainland BC day, weekend coming up, errands to run. Oh, right, must go into Vancouver later today on one of those errands to meet with some folk. Better post a note to self, not to forget. (laughs) And then she posted this. This was some of the kids from the Aldergrove Vineyard who'd come with uh, Lizzie. Remember Lizzie shared with us in early... Fall. they were all there a whole bunch from the church were there waiting for the family to get off the plane they were so excited and uh, I won't read all of this but Char, Char wrote still waiting to for the family to emerge from a small room where they're being debriefed the kids were going crazy in this prohibited area a bunch of the kids were doing cartwheels and handstands and being kids if they didn't do that maybe the pillars pillars of the airport would have shouted out the kingdom is here! Sorry, no pics of that, but it happened and for an extended period. <laughs> Joy was erupting and a family was welcome, and God gave us an Egypt, Egyptian lady, <clears throat> a friend of one of our group, to come and translate. Because of Babel, remember? The love and care and the gratitude on both sides of the cultural gap that was lessening as the planks of love were laid down over it. And then my favorite this is the children. This is one of my favorites, Kafia said to us all, we left our family, this is, this is the mom, we left our family and now you are our new family. In the frame are two of our new family members, Hatam and Muhammad. To the right is one of our awesome team members who stepped up big time to welcome this Syrian family to Canada, into our midst. Now, I have to be honest with you. I didn't get a picture of the family This was another family, but I just kind of wanted to get, Charmaine's not the most high-tech person, so she didn't get the pictures up yet. But we did see the kids. Yeah, there they are, right? And isn't that amazing? Oh, God. I I didn't even need to preach today. I could have just told that story. That would have been the sermon. So while it is always more comfortable to relate to those who are like us, the good news calls us, To move out of our comfort zones in order to love those who are unlike us. Recognizing our common humanity in the image of God. We're all different, but we're way more alike than we're different. We're way more alike than we're different. We're all different. I'm glad we're different. I love the diversity. I love the the kaleidoscope, the tapestry, the mosaic, whatever you want to call it. I love that. But we're all humans in the image of God, part of a family, loved by a father, who as excited as Charmaine and team were for that Syrian, was way more excited about you and I coming. And that's the radical welcome that they founded this church on in 1989. And that's the radical welcome that we stepped to in 1992 when I was busted for the first couple of years, just left snot all over the floor at the altar. Because I was so busted and broken. And that song that Lynn sang this morning was my national anthem. I sang that for years. I am a wounded soldier. But I was welcomed by God through this church. And that's who we are. And the moment we ever stop being that, welcome to Babel. Let's pray.